luck is just hard work on repeat. That's a phrase Divya Gokulnath, co-founder of Byju's, has lived by in her journey of building her company over 15 years. Welcome to the Leap Dot Club podcast, fireside chats with industry leaders across domains. What is the right balance with work and life? How is building a company similar to raising a child? Tune in to hear the story of what it's like to build an empire, how the pandemic influenced their growth story, and all about entrepreneurship, education, and motherhood. Um, hello, hello, and a very warm welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining in this evening. This is honestly always my favorite way to end the day. So I'm so glad to see all of you here. Uh, we're of course super stoked to kickstart today's session with none other than Divya Gokulnath, the co-founder of the world's leading edtech company, Byju's. A quick intro to Divya. Um, she started her career as a teacher in 2008 and has of course come a very long way since then um after playing a key role in setting up and expanding byju's in the indian market divya is now actively building and scaling byju's international business across multiple countries uh, she is also a strong advocate for diversity in the workplace and under her leadership byju's has fostered a culture of bias free hiring a strong supporter of women at work and a mother of two young children divya always strives to strike a balance between work and life and hence the very rightly put topic of today's session entrepreneurship education and motherhood i had the pleasure of interacting with her last week as we prepped for today's session and a short quick story um on our call she turned her video off as her baby needed some extra attention uh, but then she soon realized that it was a meeting full of women and felt safe and comfortable enough to turn her video on immediately uh, while she was feeding the baby so that was just a small special moment that we shared um, but thank you so much divya for being here today and welcome to leap dot club Thank you so much for having me. All right, today's session is also extra special because we, in fact, have a member hosting it for us. Uh, when we were planning this session internally, we thought it would be great to have another mother host this session. Um, and I was definitely not that. Um, so please join me in welcoming uh, Mukda Kalra, our host and moderator this evening. Uh, Mukda is a broadcast journalist and specializes in business journalism, gender narratives, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. She is on the BBC Hundred uh, Women list of 2021 for her work as a neurodiversity activist. Uh, her flagship work is on gender inclusion uh, for BQ Prime and is called Dear India Inc. Uh, it is a data-driven show about that talks about women in Indian corporates, trends, and other interventions. So definitely check that out. But we're so excited to have you host today's session, uh, Mugdan. Honestly, couldn't think of anyone better to do this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words, Rashna. Big hello, everybody. Big hello to you, Divya. I'm really looking. Forward to this conversation, and I hope it's a cracker of a conversation. <laughs> All right, but before I hand it over to Mukda, uh, Divya, we're, we're going to indulge you in a round of rapid fire. We can't have an online session without doing that. Um, so ready whenever you are. <laughs> okay, aren't the rapid fire supposed to be in the end? Once you warm up with all the difficult questions, this is how <laughs> I'm warming up. <laughs> okay, let's go. 
Okay, uh, it's going to be simple, so don't have to worry. Uh, early stage building or building at scale? Both. It's very really different, but both. Uh, what's the biggest mix misconception about building a company? The biggest misconception about building a company is that it's very different from bringing up your child. Okay, I was not expecting that answer. Um, true or false, the mom guilt eventually goes away. False. <laughs> okay. Um, That's cracking me up. <laughs> one quote that you live by. You look in, you look outside, you dream, you look inside, you awaken. All right. I like you that you just had that at the tip of your fingers. Uh, and finally, do you miss being a teacher? I still teach, so I don't miss it. Nice. Okay, that was fun, uh, but I'm sure everyone's now dying to get to the meat of the session. Uh, members, we will open the floor to questions as we go. Uh, so please keep them coming on the chat box. But for now, Mukda and Divya, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachna. And uh, we have quite a kickstart. So um, uh, let me deep dive. Divya, uh, anyone who Googles you, uh, they find plenty on your company by twos, on how you met your husband by two, how you built the platform together and how your market leaders, the challenges, the good publicity, the bad publicity. So I want to keep all of that aside. And at the outset, I want to make it very relatable for all the women who have joined in today, who are starting perhaps their journey as a uh, entrepreneurs or uh, are climbing that corporate ladder, our mid-management level have dreams and aspirations and are perhaps not where uh, they want to be at the moment with their uh, ambitions. So I want to talk about that, Divya. So let mm -hmm. me start by asking, what was the initial journey like when you started teaching? What were your aspirations then? Yeah. Yeah, so things that we do not find on Google, right? That's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Because the fact Absolutely. is, the fact is that the most interesting parts aren't there, right? And also, let me just start by saying that life is not as good as what you see in the news. Life is not as bad as what you read. It's somewhere in the middle. So nothing really bothers us, right? In terms of we listen, we hear everything, but we choose what we listen to. It helps us stay, stay grounded. It helps us go in the right path. So, you know, Rachna started by asking me a uh, building at scale or early stage building. I have to say both because I've done both. And I loved both parts of the journey so much. So I can't pick and choose. Uh, when, you're building at, when you're building at scale, the difference is that you'll have to uh, probably uh, do just a couple of things uh, in in a very deep grand way but when you're when you're early stage building you get to do a lot of things uh, and you get to get to learn a lot of new skills you keep learning of course but it's very different when you're building a smaller company compared to when you're building at scale so that's why but both are very very interesting and both have shaped me and molded me into becoming the person I am so I can't choose one over the other that's why I said both 
and uh, how did the journey begin well you would find parts of that in google and uh, it started when i was the age of 21 i actually stopped telling people that i started uh, 15 years ago they say did you start when you were a child so i stopped using the 15 years ago thing so when i was 21 years old uh, I was attending Baiju's classes, right? So his initial few batches, yes, I was his student. I cut out this part for the younger generations uh, because it, it, it's, not, it's not a teacher-student relationship like you have in schools. I was around and I am still around his age and I was attending math workshops in the initial few batches of Baiju's classes. So he was known as this crazy math teacher who would take any exam and crack it. So for those of you who, who know, who have been part, who are MBA grads, would have heard of Baiju's classes, say, 10, 15 years ago. And that's how it started. So I had joined to learn math to give uh, the GRE exam and go abroad and do my master's in biotechnology. So that's how it started. And in the break, he asked me to teach. Maybe I asked too many questions in class. I'm a very curious learner. And, uh, and hence, he probably felt I have the potential to teach. I was teaching during college, but formally, I haven't taught. But at the age of 21, when I got this opportunity, I said, why not? And I stepped into a classroom of 100 students, just three years younger than me. And I was helping them crack uh, some difficult exams to get into a dream job of their choice for aptitude, reasoning, and math. And, uh, you know, I wore a sari and went so that I look a little bit older uh, so that the students would not, you know, scream and shout and all of that. I think it worked. Uh, the sari has its own charm and it works today. I wear it in five minutes. I thank myself for taking that decision back then uh, so I can get ready pretty quickly, which is which is a big advantage. And uh, the impact, once they got into their dream job, stayed with me and I continued teaching. One thing led to the other. We were teaching offline and then we transitioned and that's when people started knowing us in 2015. So this is from 2009 to 2015. We were largely offline. Uh, you know, we were just scaling. We had we had our classes in different cities. And in 2011, we started, we wanted to focus on school going kids. We said, look, when you learn a concept the first time, if you learn it right, if you fall in love with learning, you don't need to unlearn, relearn all over again. Although it is a skill to unlearn and relearn, but the way you learn it the first time has to be right. So in 2011 and 12, we started focusing on the school going segment from teaching in front of students in a classroom. We started teaching in front of the camera. So all of this would culminate in the launch of the learning app in 2015. And when we started, we didn't know that it's going to be a learning app. Uh, I mean, we just we just used a lot of cool visual techniques to bring concepts to lives. We realized that uh, we, we learn better when we learn visually. And in, with, through movie-like videos and game-like interactions, we wanted to bring back the love for learning. That was a simple concept. So in 2015, when this whole app craze happened, in 2015, July, when Digital India was launched, in 2015, August, mm. we launched Baiju's The Learning App the same year. And that has been the trajectory of the Baiju story. So we did not come suddenly out of somewhere. Okay, all we just seen a whole splash of Baiju's all over. No, this is like... Over 15 years of hard work, R&D, like I said, the, there is no shortcut. Uh, like luck is hard work on repeat mode. You do the same thing over and over and over and you get better and you do it. I would like to borrow Lionel Messi's quote. I can take the privilege of doing that. He's the global ambassador for my pet project by Juice Education for All, which is a social initiative, where he says, I worked for 17 years, 14 hours, uh, day in and day out, day after day, night after night to become what we call an overnight success. So the concept of overnight success is nothing but hard work. Repeat. 
we are where we are today and uh, you know i mean i can go on forever but uh, today we have 150 million students across the world and working professionals we serve students from four-year-olds to 40-year-olds uh, we have companies who are part of our portfolio which some of them you would know of in india and globally 75 percent of our students are in india 25 percent are abroad well uh, but the most important thing is it's still day one for us Fantastic. That was the, the story in a nutshell, but now I'm going to uh, dissect that story a little bit. When did you know that you were at the cusp of creating an empire? What was that time? I'm guessing 2015, but what was it? Can you recall for us where you felt because then, of course, Baidu's trajectory, uh, when we look at it from then to now, uh, it has been magnificent. And you guys were the first uh, in the industry. So was there a time when you felt, oh, my God, this is our moment. And if we now pivot on this, we are going to create history. Yeah, it, it's funny you say empire because, I mean, I've never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as impact. And, you know, there is this very famous Spider-Man quote where you say with more power comes responsibility. I believe that with more responsibility mm -hmm. comes power. So uh, actually, there is that moment if I look back in time and it would be during the pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. when the pandemic happened in 2019, 20, when schools shut down, had one and a half billion students out of school. That was the time when online learning stepped in to at least right. ensure that the learning loss slash gap is to a minimum. And that is the time that we knew that whatever we had built is now going to create impact. In fact, the first four months of the pandemic, the amount of the number of product launches we had, the, the segue we made into different products, uh, languages, subjects, geographies, it was at a speed which amazes me even today because we had never worked remotely. It was that point in time when I was carrying my second child. It was that point in time when Baiju was stuck in the US and I was in India. It was that point in time where things were, it was not easy because everybody was everywhere, but we were still working together to ensure that learning didn't stop. The experience was smooth because at that point, we also decided to open up the learning app for free. We said that this is the time when we need to give back. That was the time we launched our social initiative, which is Baidu's Education for All, because we realized that people will be affected the most are those from marginalized communities, from the underprivileged uh, parts of the country. So that's when, so a lot of things happened in the first four, five months of the pandemic. If you ask me, there were a lot of pivotal moments then. And it was a very unfortunate situation but online learning and online education ensured that uh, if no matter whatever else stopped, learning didn't. No, absolutely. I think it was also around that time that people realized that a lot of businesses needed to change. And I think that is irrespective of the industry you're in. Um, yeah. Change is the only constant. And when a catastrophe like that struck a lot of people also found opportunity only because they were agile and they said all right we need to change so as you say that you were always uh, an in-person model and then quickly you had to scale uh, what was that phase like if I may ask uh, in the sense what was the kiosk that you 
all found yourself uh, found yourselves in in terms of prepping the technology, getting more people on board. Uh, uh, what was a typical day at that point in time like for you? I have to go back to the way we started because it was very unique. So we see, we started this company in Bangalore, right? And there is this running joke that you cross the road, you change the job. That is a kind of uh, place Bangalore is, right? It's the hub. Right. Uh, it's a Silicon Valley of India. Now, in that kind of an environment, and even today, and I look back 15 years, we managed to retain the entire founding team, okay? And out of the first 300 employees, 262 of them. Now, there has to be a strong reason. If you ask me, that's our biggest strength. And over the years, while we've been very fixated on our mission, we've been very flexible with our execution. That's very important because as you scale an organization and as you have such large numbers like 55,000 employees, 150 million students, you're, you're trying to cater to a lot. And at scale, quality can never drop, especially in education. Technology helped us do exactly right. that. So in 2015, till then, we had not really tapped technology. We were core content and core education. Technology has always been the enabler for us, an enabler for personalization to ensure that every student learns as per their size, their style, their pace of learning. Technology has, has helped us solve the problem of access. So that a student, no matter which part of the world they are in, they have the access to the same high quality learning, which they deserve. And finally, to bring back, like I said, the love for learning by engaging students in a format which they're comfortable in. And so this is how tech has helped us scale, but also, also ensure personalization. So you rightly said, you know, when when what do you do when you're so big today? I, if I have to give an analogy, I feel like, I feel like a big elephant, like a company with a big elephant, but with purple wings and it's flying in the right direction. So being flexible, fleeing, and being agile. So being big doesn't mean you cannot be agile. So what startups cannot lose as the scale is flexibility, is agility, is innovation. And why that is important is even today, uh, for us, we've kept innovation at the top of everything else. So over the last six months, while there is this huge furore about AI and large language models. Uh, I'm very happy to say that while we had three dedicated research labs, one in London, Palo Alto and Bangalore, we've come up with some amazing personalization uh, tools using artificial intelligence, using large language models like GPT-4. And we've actually helped students now learn better. All of them are in their pilot out phases. So it's doing very, very well. So we this is important. And we're today also thinking okay. like a startup. You, the minute you lose that sort of mindset, the minute you get complacent, that's when everything is over. So every day right. you need to innovate because tech is something that keeps evolving. If you don't evolve, you miss out on the race. Divya, tell me something. You said that uh, a lot of pivoting happened during pandemic, right? And soon after pandemic, the naysayers were like, ab khatam. You know, ab ye sare models girne wale, ab ye nahi chalega, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was again a time to pivot, and again a time to show agility because kids were going back to school. You know, there was suddenly this whole chatter about will this model work? Will this not work? There were a lot of internal changes that you guys had gone through, and it was not just about uh, Baiju's. I would say it was, I think, uh, world overall education firms and enterprises were going through that shift. What was that 
period like? And then what was the agility that you went back to? Wow, that's a, that's a very long question. I'll tell you, but I'll I'll also I'll give it. I'm I'm going to answer first for. So here's how it is, right? Hmm. EdTech as a segment was in its nascent stages. It's still in its nascent stages, but the pandemic right. put it and put us in a hyper growth. So conventionally, hmm. conventionally, a startup has four four stages: early, uh, seed, you know, and then you have growth and maturity. So startups also have something called hyper growth. So the pandemic put all, and I would say, especially at tech startups in a hyper growth phase. Now this right. hyper phase happens because of excessive demand, which is a good thing, right? Provided you're able to keep up to the supply. What happened is also we had a few companies trying to solve for something which, which wasn't the normal. So post pandemic, those companies which were incepted to solve for something which is not going to be there forever, right? Which was the pan just the pandemic kind of a situation. We saw a couple of those companies shut down. That is what sent the first panic wave. But the fact is those companies which were created on a strong business model, those companies which were created for well over a decade, those companies which had their eyes and mind and focus and foundation and passion set for 10 years in the future, not, not right. by serial entrepreneurs who want to just make a quick buck and get out. Those companies will do and will continue to thrive. It's all about that because education is not something where you see an impact in a day, in a week or in a year. You, you need to invest a decade of your time into it because this is something where outcomes take time. You need to have the patience to make sure that it happens and you need to have the patience and the passion to make sure that you want to make it work. Now, coming to the segment, and this is why actually it's more of a perception than it is the reality. Just to put it in terms of numbers, Globally, EdTech even today is growing at 16.5%. Does anybody know what is the growth of EdTech in India? The EdTech market in India. Like you can chat and tell me. I just want to know. Does anybody know what is the percentage growth? Anybody wants to take a... Okay, someone got it right because they've, they've probably done... It's 40%. Yeah. Indian EdTech is growing at 40%. How can something growing be seen as something that is a bubble which is bursting? Right. So if anything, we have an India. And I, when I speak about this, why is this possible? It's possible because of the country where we are coming from. When you create for 1.4 billion people, you create for one sixth of humanity. Where at every turn you take, you're creating for, you're creating for diversity. When you make in India, you make in India and you make for the world. So you cannot fail. And what we've also what we've also seen, and you look at if you see that uh, Bloomberg's recession probabilities report, it says that the only country with a zero percent chance of recession this year is India. So this is the place to be. So if anything, we are one of those bright spots in the world where if we can grow, we we can grow stronger than ever before. So mm -hmm. it's more of it's more about comparing the growth now to what was happening during the pandemic. That's not the right leverage. That's not the right benchmarking, right? You need to compare the situation compared to what's happening in the world. Today is the toughest time. We know that. In, it's been in the last, I would say, few decades for a company right. to, to grow, to raise funds, uh, to hold on, to, to pivot its models. 
so there is a lot of quick thinking and quick actions which need to be taken not just by edtech but by every segment and every sector like you said and a lot of tech companies have taken calls hard calls to move to say profitability and sustainability over growth again for me it's not a one size fits all right so the question is not about should startups move towards profitability the answer cannot be yes or no is this particular startup in in a in a position to move now because if you tell a growth stage startup to go towards profitability it won't be able to achieve what it has to achieve because there is a reason why there are four phases so you cannot push it to uh, maturity well before it's supposed to so maybe a few companies have to pivot a little bit before but again it's very personalized it's very different so my long right. answer to your short question is that it's very <laughs> uh, it's more of a perception when it comes to the segment uh edtech is doing well uh it is it is an exciting sector it's a nascent sector i can say that we are fortunate to be pioneers in a segment where we wrote the rule book it's not a cut right. copy paste model taken from any country we are we have our own first principles it's like painting on an empty canvas sure we've gone over the uh, you know the lines sometimes but it's important that we came back and corrected it uh, mistakes right. need to be celebrated in children in adults in entrepreneurs because the fact is startups can fail but entrepreneurs never do and i think failure is always i look at failure as a positive word because failure uh, also gives you opportunity to do something else it of course lets you learn and uh, the moment you understand that uh, failure is showing you just another way of looking at something uh, you know the context of the entire uh, narrative changes but that was all about byju's divya i want to sort of also deep dive into what were you as a person uh, from from the point of view of ambition uh, would you say you were always ambitious when you started or ambition is something that happened on the way because you know sometimes a lot of uh, sometimes it happens that you know as purpose happens to you and uh, you become a different person and purpose sometimes also gets that ambition uh, but what was uh, what was your uh, upbringing like when we talk about uh, ambition uh, i'll give you a, i'll give you a background to that so you know i wasn't raised in a patriarchal uh, uh, family you know but i was raised with a deep sense of family you know um there was chatter about you need to marry at the right time you need to prioritize your family you need to start your family at the right time uh, if ever you have to make the choice between the family and uh, uh, your career then you know you should be very very sure that you know you are choosing the career for the right reason you know and uh, and then i became a journalist and i was on television so you know my suddenly you know everybody was like acha ye to bahut badhiya career hai and you know so suddenly my gravitas was very different for the family as well but you know when i see all my other family members and i see a lot of women you know a lot of times when you're just trying to do average above average and not an extremely successful kind of a job which is getting you um uh, or the money or getting you the fame or power you know women are often to you know are told to choose family mm. right mm. from that point of view you know did you uh, were you ambitious from the very beginning or what were the kind of women you were coming along how would you describe your uh, childhood and then of course uh, when you started to work you know it's 
it's after I started going to college, graduation, started entering the workforce is when I actually realized the kind of disparity which exists. And I was thankful for being raised not as a boy or a girl, but as a child by my parents. So I'm the only child. Okay. And growing up, I've had the privilege of having the exposure to the arts, to the sciences, to sports, to reading, all of it. Right. So, uh, and I am a very ambitious girl. That's how I am as a person. But that doesn't mean that's something that we don't develop. And ambition is a good thing. Uh, you wanting to do more is the difference between someone doing something and someone being satisfied with what has happened, right? And you need a lot of ambition if you are, if you are someone who has the responsibility of bringing up a family. Uh, if you are someone who's going to be the breadwinner of your family, you have to double work. You have to double prove. The sad reality today is that uh, we still take care uh, and we would love to also take charge. And I'm hoping that there is a future where uh, we can confidently say that women take charge and take care and men take care and take charge. But we're a little away from that. But till then, we need to work towards that goal. So growing up, uh, I mean, I've, I've always wanted, so ambition, of course, I never aspired to become an entrepreneur, uh, mainly because I didn't even know that that's a profession. And I'm, and uh, most of the people here, I can say our next generation, I'm in my mid thirties right now. So growing up, we could, we could count the number of women entrepreneurs. I hate calling it that. Uh, I, I believe women is a noun. It's not an adjective. Entrepreneurship doesn't need a descriptor, but anyway, so growing up, we didn't have so many role models to look up to. So I right. always aspired to become an astronaut, become a doctor like my father. My mother was in uh, Doordarshan media, all of that. So I come from a family where all my aunts worked. And I think that's been a big difference uh, now because, you know, you guys ask me so many times, like, you know, who are your role models? How was it growing up? You know, you deep think and you realize all of these things have actually shaped you without you realizing it. But they have. The fact is you have one aunt who is a banker. You have another one who is a biotechnologist. You have the third one who works in the post office. So you are molded to believe that you can, you can take care and take charge right? This inspires you and it, it helps you set a norm or set a goal for yourself. So I've always believed that the purpose of life is to have a life of purpose. It's very important. And that's why my calling in education. And if you look at, uh, if you look at education, it has, it has the beauty of having a double bottom line of doing well and doing good. And that's why when I started, I just stayed back, even though I got, you know, I got an opportunity to go abroad and pursue my master's in some of the best colleges in the US. When I found the kind of satisfaction that, that which I got in a classroom, I, I just pushed it. I said, okay, fine, next year I'll do it. It's okay. I'm sure I'll crack it. You know, I said, okay, fine. And then next year. And then next year. And I just stayed back. I never went. And, and I, I told my parents the same thing. I'm like, give me one year, you know, I'll apply next year. I'll get in. Don't worry. I'll get in. I've always talked. I've always, so they had that sort of uh, you know, I'll say that sort of uh, courage in, in, in the fact that I will pull it off if I say it. And I said it with quite a bit of conviction, you know, more conviction than I thought I had. But I stayed back. And, you know, sometimes they say it's just about the decisions you take. So I think I needed right. to have a lot of ambition to take a choice to stay back and venture into the unknown. Because 
15 years back, we didn't know it will be what it would be today. Like looking back, it may look like perfectly planned steps, uh, you know, other than the last one year. But really, it hasn't been that way. We've taken it one day at a time, one step at a time, one student at a time. So even at one point we were, so in the completely offline model, and you asked me about this whole pivot, we pivoted from a completely offline 90% uh, you know, profit margin business to a completely online model. So we were filling stadiums with 25,000 students. But when our ambition was to go from thousands to millions. And if you want to go from thousands to millions, the only way you can do that is if you have technology by your side. And that's right. when we positively disrupted ourselves. Disruption can be a good thing. Disruption doesn't need to take away anybody else's business. Disruption just needs to do something in a way which enables everybody, right? Or do something and touch someone who hasn't been touched before. That's what positive disruption is. And that's what we wanted to do. And that's what we aim to do. So my fundamental question is, if you if you can have your choice of color and you can have your, your choice of, you know, the, the clothes you wear, why don't we have our choice of the way in which we learn? Why do we have students? Why do we have a one-size-fits-all approach? And I don't think we'll stop till we have 1.5 billion learning journeys because we have 1.5 billion school-going children. All right. So um, we are now getting a lot of questions and uh, they are around, interestingly, on your uh, uh, on, on motherhood and how do you balance. And a little background to this is um, um, that I, I actually did uh, two episodes on uh, on women in corporates and how, how they are struggling after they are coming back from their maternity breaks. And what is happening really is, you know, I know there are a lot of young women here. And some of the trends that are coming from all over the world, and you know, you can actually read the Deloitte, uh, um, the Deloitte report of women in corporates for this uh, uh, for this year and the last year, and they talk about a broken rank. They talk mm -hmm. about a broken rank. They also talk about you know how women are facing a lot of issues while getting back to work. You know, it could be uh, uh, settling in after motherhood. It could be not getting enough opportunities. It could be facing benevolence bias where your boss says that, oh, mujhe to lagta hai ki tum kar paogi, main tumko ye kaam deta you know, the benevolence bias women reported is a lot. Um, talking about your journey and, you know, uh, you were already a very successful person when motherhood happened to you. How easy or difficult was it at that point in time to prioritize that because you know a lot of younger women today are also delaying motherhood because they feel abhi time nahi hai abhi hum career ki baat karte hain agar maine abhi plan kiya to uh, i will not be able to uh, uh, concentrate on my career you know there are a lot of dilemmas that women today are facing what was it like for you i was not a successful uh, professional when i gave birth to my first son so I have, I have two stories. One is when my nine-year-old, my nine-year-old today was born. And the second is I have two boys, a nine-year-old and a two-year-old. So the only place there is no diversity is at home. And I always complain about that. So I have a nine-year-old and a two-year-old. People ask me about the age gap. And I say, yes, it is like that because the app was launched in between. Bang in between a child in its own, the biggest baby in the room, which takes all my attention. Okay. Now, when my elder son was born, which is nine years back, Baiju's wasn't the Baiju's it is today. It wasn't the relative success 
which we call it today. I still don't think it's successful, but it wasn't even that. That was the time when we were working very hard. Uh, the first 100, 150 people, okay, that was the size. And we were working very hard to release the, to create this digital videos and digital content. And right through my pregnancy, you would, I would record the videos for the learning app in and out. So I don't advocate it, but I didn't have the privilege and I couldn't take a maternity break. I don't regret it. I absolutely loved it. I had an amazing support system by my side. I had, uh, I, and I'm very lucky. I have loving parents and parents-in-law both. So I live in a big joint family. If you ask me, that's my biggest strength today. So I can, you know, I know my children are in good hands and that's the number one and most important thing. And I always say that, right? For me, if I have to take way on both my hands, my family and the job, both are equally, equally important. I would never put one thing over the other. And it's all about at that moment, what needs more priority and I would give that more attention. So when my first child was born, I, I was working very hard and I was recording. And uh, so at that point, it was no fancy studios and all of that. We would write our own script. We would record, we would re-record. So if you've seen any of our videos, we would do a lot of hand gestures, bring concepts to life study and you have to you have to study again right you have to learn the concepts again you're teaching fourth graders to 12th graders math biology so i taught math and biology so i loved it so i would re relearn all the concepts figure out how to explain it in a simple manner do a b testing with children in the classroom check what questions they have and then come in front of the camera and record it so and i couldn't take that break because those were the times so, 2000, so i'm talking about 2013 was when he was born 2015 is when the app was launched so 2015 when we launched the app uh, it actually happened in office. And for me, my personal journey and my professional journey is like, you know, it's like the digital India story and the Baiju story. It's completely intertwined with each other. So it, it right. in office at 11.30 in the night, and I had to be there at that time, was when the app was launched. The app was created by us, by the way. We, we built it. Everything is in-house. It's completely made in India. And made in actually in, in Bengaluru at that point of time. So that it was actually launched by my elder son. So he pressed the button and I would want to believe that He's our lucky charm. So this, this was when, you know, we were, and we were small, we were huddling in a little office, like typical startup and all, you go eat in Pizza Hut and then you save up, go once a week, have that tall coffee day thing, which, you know, that Tapi Nirvana thing, which you just go and get once a week. So that's, that's your indulgence, right? These are, these are those days. So we, and our first funding also came only in 2015. We're completely bootstrapped, Lord. Like I said, you won't find this on Google because this is not Masaledar. You guys will just not find this, right? But first eight years, we were bootstrapped. We have right. built this company by investing our profits back. And that's, and after 2014, 15 is when the investors started coming in, mainly for expansion, mainly for growth. That's why we wanted to create a brand because it's about the first mover, first comers advantage, right? So, and in the growth stage of a startup, once you figure out your product market fit, it's important to scale. Now, when you want to scale, see, it's it's also important to be, there's something also called market share, but I also, it's very important to also have mind share. So it, it's important to be on top of mind more than top of market. So to build that, that is why we invested so heavily. So you would you would see us on the Indian cricket team's jersey. That's because it inspires a billion budding dreams. So we took a lot of branding calls at that point of time and invested heavily in that because we wanted to make online learning a norm. It was very different. People didn't understand how can online learning help? Pandemic helped us. But until then, we would struggle to create segment awareness. How can children learn from app? 100 questions. Will screen time damage their eyesight? Thousands of questions, right? Today, you won't see parents. If they're looking at something educational, they won't worry too much about it. As long as it's something educational. Battle is something okay. else now. 
right so yeah. it, it's parenthood so that's the kind of uh, you know uh, that's the kind of journey i've been through and uh, when the second child was born it was like a full cycle for me because that was exactly the time when the pandemic hit we were working from home all of us so and we started then moving to a live class model because the schools were shut we wanted to give children that regularity of learning so i converted my bedroom into a studio put a green screen behind me and me and four other teachers would start teaching so i started teaching i just think that whenever i'm you know pregnant i just need to teach right that's how it's been like so even the second time around somehow it just happened that i had to start teaching all over again so in fact when she asked me do you miss teaching i said boss no i even now even last week when i go when i when i visit any place i go to a school i go to a tuition center i meet the kids i figure out what's happening and post pandemic and this was actually important to your previous question we evolved with the needs of the students so while online learning is great we also understand that the future of learning is neither completely online nor offline it's actually hybrid where you have the best of both we launched in one year we launched 300 hybrid learning centers so we call them byju tuition centers so in one year we we launched that model where children would come just once or twice a week to a center but the rest of the week they would learn from home so all of these have been because we've been putting the student in the driver seat we've been listening to them we've not made them listen to us and that's why when you put your i would i don't like to call them customers but customers first you kind of get a sense of what they want what they need what they deserve and you pivot whatever you create right. towards the way i like how mai koi bhi sawal puchu na it comes back to byjus <laughs> yeah i ask you about motherhood it comes back to byjus what, what do know, i do i, I told you about ambition I, it comes what back to byjus what is the biggest misconception people think that bringing up a child and bringing up a business is very See, I'll go back to what Rachna asked me. All the rapid-fire questions are like teasers for this <laughs> entire conversation. Okay. No, so interestingly, you know what I draw from this is that uh, throughout your pregnancy, you were also, uh, uh, you know, perhaps your child's twin is the app. Uh, uh, you know, you were already having multiple pregnancies while you had this pregnancy, <laughs> and you know, everything comes down to. by juice but you know we had priya ask you this question and then shreya also asked and uh, shreya put an interesting question which i think you have already answered or perhaps you know anybody here can sort of uh, answer that question for you she said that you know was there a stage in your life where you felt that you had to make a choice between um, motherhood and uh, personal time and energy and uh, work was there a time when you felt uh, um momentarily to ye wale thoughts bahut aate when you have that guilt did you have that guilt and if you had that guilt uh, how did you combat it we keep having the guilt that guilt doesn't go the fact <laughs> is you know when they get up when they grow up and they're successful also we'll say oh my god we didn't spend enough time with them growing up now we could be homemakers for all that it could be but still you know guilt would never that's that's more uh, yeah. I mean, it's okay. In one way, it's good. It guilt is also ambition because of that you try to do everything better. So true. It's okay. Now, I mean, there are so many times when you know you're in which which is which is something that I've tried not to do, right? So I build artificial boundaries around myself. So when I'm in one place, I'm there hundred percent, and it's so important for us to do that. So otherwise, you don't. I mean, you you multitasking is something that we all rave about. Very good advice. that's yeah. a very good advice yeah. uh, building boundaries when you are working so if you are mothering then you know at that point in time it's just that when you are working 
you are yeah. giving it your 100% and not trying to do both the things together you can't you can't right? because very multitasking very is something we are very proud about right we're like oh women are super but multitasking we can do 10 things at one time so same thing comes back and hits okay because if you try <laughs> to do 10 things at one time you end up giving 10% to each but if you do one thing at one time and if you give 100% to one thing one at a time you actually do that much better now it's and for for you know when you come to think about it maybe all 10 things are not even important so it's also about filtering out it's about learning to say no and i tell this to women right even if you have 10 things to do put yourself at least as number 10 it's helped me a lot so i without compromise work out 5 days a week 1 hour i just give it to myself because if i take care of myself i can take care of everything and everybody else it's important and we don't do do that right we we wouldn't mind chatting with our phone our friend on a phone wasting half an hour 45 minutes but we would just go back when we say oh, yaar, aaj gym jana hai. but it's not about gymming right it could be yoga it could be anything trust me it changes yeah. your life getting up 30 minutes earlier than you do and working out one hour a day or 45 minutes a day for five days a week can change your life and it's it's very important that we do that it's for me it's not about fat or thin it's about being strong and fit so fitness is extremely important. So it's not about how you look, but it's about how you feel. Because your looks are just right. your looks. You're not, it's not you, right? So that's one thing. So for me, yeah. Yeah, you know, oh. also it's interesting, Divya, because, you know, even if you, even whether it's motherhood or not motherhood, a woman's mm -hmm. body goes through so many hormonal changes by just being, by the virtue of being a woman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, it's got nothing to do with motherhood. You know, you from menarche to menopause, there mm -hmm. is a whole gamut of you need to take care of your body for health reasons and not because you need to look nice. I mean, that comes as an addition because we do want to look nice. You know, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think because we go through so much um, changes in our bodies, unlike any other uh, species, you know, it, it is very important that you prioritize health for the right reasons throughout very your life. Yeah. Divya, tell me, I have two questions which are also um, coming from the chat box, which is, um, all right, there is negative news. How does it affect you? And how have you learned to, I'm sure Japeli Bari negativity, Ayogi, it must have been devastating. I mean, it's like for any human, right? But you develop, you know, I'm a mother to a neurodiverse child, right? And um, and even though, you know, the experiences are very different, but uh, when criticism comes, when uh, negativity comes, when people are not understanding, and I'm relating it with the, your entrepreneurship journey, right? Um, a lot of times, uh, initially, it took me a while, you know, I would respond to everybody. I would feel the need to jump in and I used to get so affected. And then I developed a thick skin that, you know, all right, I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm going to handle this. For you, um, it must have been uh, the same and more because it is magnified in uh, uh, on uh, news channels. It is out in the magazines. It's everywhere. And part and parcel of the game, there will be negative news if there's good news. So what is the mantra there? There is no mantra. If someone sees me and beats me for an hour, they won't even believe that it's the same person that they read about, right? Or the same company that they read about. See, it's not about having a thick skin. I believe it's more important to have a strong core. That's something that we've learned to build. And since we've built, I think that's what is saving 
us, if you can say that. Secondly, I'll go back to what I said initially. Uh, it's not as bad as you read. It's not as good as sometimes what you see, right? Sometimes we get a little, I'll say a lot more love than we should have got maybe during the pandemic. We got a lot more hatred than we deserved it. But life was actually in the middle. It's not, it's anyway, not, nothing is extreme. Right. Everything is in the middle. It's also important to understand the difference between criticism and critique and take it in your stride. Because if you start listening to everything, you won't know, you will get muddled in your head. So inside, you need to be very strong. Inside, you need to be very focused. You need to know where your mission, your mind, you need to, because these are all distractions, right? There are a lot of distractions which come because remember one thing, love is private and hate is public. And we know that. In, in, and especially because of the advent of social media, where it is very convenient to put out a message without knowing who is behind it. In fact, my biggest recommendation would be that if any comment comes on any channel, it should only be a video message. The amount of negativity will always go down. Because the minute you have to show up and speak, you will automatically give more love. Right? Because yeah. I know when I meet people, I don't feel it. I feel, I feel love. I feel pride. I feel support. I feel empathy. So I feel good things when I meet people in person. It's a different world digitally. It is not the real world. So the better, right. it's better for you to not take that world too seriously, to be focused on what you're building, what you're doing. Because when you have a rock solid product, which is impacting students, which is helping them learn better, because I get thousands of letters from students about how this is impacting them how this is helping them do better. So we are seeing improvement in grades. We're seeing improvement in outcomes. We're seeing right. more engagement. We are, we are looking at the right numbers. We are measuring. It's not that we don't know what's happening. We read everything. We hear everything, but we choose what we want to listen to. And that's so important. Because, and, and I'll be very frank, even when, the when it came the first time, it didn't affect us to the, see, it will affect you if it is, if it is true. Uh, you will feel bad if it isn't. But see, feeling bad uh, is one thing and building and, and, uh, and so also knowing that your stakeholders are unaffected is the most comforting thing. So hmm. none of our numbers have moved up or down in the last one year in terms of the numbers that matter, which would be the NPS right. score, which would be the student satisfaction, which would be the teacher rating, right? Which would be the renewal rates, which would be the revenues, which would be the investor sentiment. None of that has changed. So it's more a perception issue, which is something that yeah. anyway, it's okay. There are ups, there are yeah. downs. I mean, <laughs> how would you value an up unless there is a down? Mm. All right. Okay. I have one more question, which is around uh, how you, you've always been the boss. I mean, if you actually look at it, right. Uh, but even at the boss level, uh, there is there is a lot of bias. So were there were, are there any incidents where both Baiju and you are in the room, but uh, somebody is only talking to Baiju and not you? Does that happen at that level as well? Because a lot of women yeah. uh, in the boardrooms and otherwise say that you know I I have to, I you know I'm the one who is calling the shots. I have this place on the table, but you know they don't give me voice on table. So what would be your advice to women who are going through that? And did you ever also go through something like that? It would be different for us. The reason is, very frankly, very rarely are both of us 
in the same room at the same time contrary to what people think the advantage of having two founders is that you can be in two places at one time and we exploit that advantage to the maximum so you would actually never even find us in the same country so if forget about being in the same room so we call shots on different things and we call them independently so if you ask me it's a big advantage if done right this husband wife partnership can be a strategic advantage where you it's 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 something where you can you can literally be able to have double the strength because you're able to do two things at once so uh, i mean i've never faced a situation where i mean i know the company is called uh, byjuice that's and and that's because we started as byjuice classes and we just kept it it was a cool name easy to trademark we are like let's just keep it uh, you know other outside kerala people don't even know it's a name now it's become a very popular person's name there are still some people who don't know that it's named after byju you know and i'm surprised yeah. in fact people call him byju yeah. now i said no 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 his name yeah. is byju the company is byju so when the brand becomes bigger than the person if you look at it he has taken a bigger risk by calling the company after his name because you know you he, he says this all the like you know at that one point of time i was i was feeling a little guilty i was getting all the credit but today i'm okay i also get all the flack so it's fine you know so i mean look it's 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 that's, like that's this good thing mm. yeah it's he's like this somebody asked me but, you know don't you have yeah. an ego don't you have like like i said look when your impact gets there is something called inverse proportionality theorem which everybody would know as a math teacher i'll explain it to you as your scale gets bigger and bigger as your impact gets bigger and bigger your ego starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller because you have many more things to do and there's absolutely no time to focus on smaller things in fact the the only times we have you know professional discussions is now outside work hours unfortunately that's a sad reality i'll tell the cons the cons of working with your husband is that look you're not going to have a personal life so better you build something which you love doing or just just do two different things okay i'm just going to ask that what is it like do you even have like a romantic date where you are not talking about the work work byjus and you're just talking to each other or what what is a typical date look like when the two of you are out do you do you romance have boundaries with romances with the kids romances with edtech and romances with the third baby in the room there is no concept see the minute the children are born and this is a, this is the this thing right you know who takes priority so we both shamelessly put our kids first and we are very doting parents so like for us outside of byju's our kids mean the world to us so if i mean over the last one one and a half years we haven't had time to travel but if we do and if we could we would love to go out with them we both love traveling we love biking we love the outdoors so he's also a sports person like me uh you know he always says that look i've got uh, six he's got six sports injuries so uh, on both knees and then we've had multiple acls and then he'll cheekily add five after marriage i said i have nothing to do with it nothing absolutely nothing so it just has to be you know him just uh, playing after work hours in the middle of the night with the initial team you know so all of that and i want to i want to say something to to everybody in the room that look the way we are measuring uh, the impact of women in the boardroom the women, the impact of women in the workplace look we need to relook at the way we represent everything is not about the quantity but it's also about the quality and i've been in enough panels enough meeting rooms to understand that yes we are only 20% of the room but take it from me we are 60% of the voice because when women sit at the table every woman who's sitting at the table is filled with the burning passion ambition to create a better future for women who are coming after her so like i said let's relook at the way we are measuring output so when you go out of a meeting 
just think of the sum just think about who made the most important points and who made the most important decisions you will only understand that you're measuring look i know it's abysmal it's dismal the representation is bad but people who are there who are sitting there are sitting there for a reason are sitting there to prove that they're there to make a point nobody's on the bench okay everyone is there because they want a seat on the table to be heard you know i have hajar more questions but i think rachna will not allow me now <laughs> i asked rachna i asked rachna one hour rachna who will listen to us for one hour she I said told yeah yeah and you still have questions pouring in <laughs> so rachna do we have time for another two or sadly we'll have to wrap i'm going to have to be the bad cop uh, <laughs> because i know if we take one last question it'll probably go on for longer than 2 uh, 3 minutes um so i think we will they were like i told you the 60 minutes are going to fly and they did like i can't believe we've come to the end of uh, this session and there were so many one liners to take back i think my favorite one is um luck is hard work on repeat uh, i think that's i like someone said they're going to get something on a t-shirt someone said they're going to get something tattooed so uh, thank you for all your one liners um before we wrap up this session actually we'd love to take a quick photo uh, of all of us so members uh, this is your cue to turn on your cameras if they're off um and like get ready and ashna let us know when we're ready for the picture okay let let everyone fix their hair okay are we ready smile Give me one more second and see a couple of screens. And yep, all done. Thank you so much. All right, um, Divya, it has been absolutely wonderful to hear from you. Uh, I'm sure I'm speaking from everyone when I said that we loved how real and candid the last sixty minutes were. I think someone said it on the chat box. Also, the enthusiasm with which you answered every question just shows the passion with which you're building what you're building. Um, so thank you, and Mukda, thank you for being a part of today's session. And you are honestly such a great host this evening. I've taken some notes and tips on being a better host, so I should implement them the next. time um members thank you for joining in and you know for keeping the chat box so buzzing uh we have a bunch of events coming up so head to the app uh, book your slot definitely fill out the feedback form so we can uh, learn from this as well and yeah we'll see you at the next one so have a great um week ahead thank, thank you. you thank you so much Thank you.